Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the front porch. Uh, I'm Lewis Love. I'm Didi Anyabile. Brother, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. It's been a minute. It's been a minute, man. Yeah. I, I can't, I'm trying to think of when we were, the last time we chatted out here on the porch. Oh, uh, man, it's been a long minute. I think when you called me up and said, hey, man, let's talk about that apology thing. You was that the last one? I, the last one I was on. You, you've talked to Keith Plummer since then. Yeah, it's I have. a great episode. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know it had been that long, man. Wow. It's a lot, lot going on, though, since then, though, brother. Nah, that's, that's true. Yeah. That's, that's for real. A lot going on. Did you, um, this is probably elementary, but did you ever foresee, did you, could you, did you ever imagine that we would, we would as a country and as a church would be uh, in the state of affairs that we're in now? Did you see any of this coming to you? You mean, did I think the zombie apocalypse was real? <laughs> <laughs> no, man, I didn't, I didn't see it. This, this wasn't in any of my sort of uh, <laughs> delusions about what the future would hold. And uh, it's a good thing. The Lord is humbling us in it. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. I think that, uh, yeah, the moment, uh, the moment that we're in, um, never, never in ministry, I've ever thought that there would be a time where we couldn't gather you know, with the people. Um, and still, it's interesting because it's been now several months. Yeah, and we're still navigating through this, man. It's still like every, almost every week, There's it's new. It's still, you're just not used to, this is not business as usual. People say, well, it's the new normal. Yeah, I don't know. It's still, it's still, the newness is still uh, working for many people. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's new, but it's certainly, it's far from normal. It's not normal at uh, all. It, it, yeah. it will, it will certainly adjust normal, whatever that is, yeah. uh, going forward. But uh, I think it's still new. I was talking with someone yesterday and uh, here in the city, and they were suggesting that we're going to be dealing with this at least for the next year. Yeah. Um, and I just thought, I leaned back in my chair. I was like, another year? Yeah. Um, but, you know, yeah, it's, it's, may you live in interesting times, the Chinese proverbs and, and curse goes. And yeah. So certainly living in that. <laughs> you know, it's interesting when you, when you say it could be another year, that's how, that's how time flies for folks, right? Because, you know, you think, well, this time next year, you know, August, September of 2021, and hopefully, you know, by God's grace, we'll be looking back on a lot of this. We'll be uh, certainly in a better place, uh, should the Lord tarry. Um, but then it's like, what happened to 2020? Where'd that year go? Even though with all the things that have been going on this year, uh, as time goes on, it will still be like almost like a whisper. Yeah. You have to recall the events. Well, you know, in 2020, this happened. In 2020, there's George Floyd, right? In 2020, there was the pandemic. 2020, there was a, an election that's probably going to prove to be uh, <laughs> a, a wild, a wild, wild, crazy yeah. election, you know. Yeah. Um, so, but it still will seem like um, oh, just a, a whisk of time. And um, but, you know, pr- we're praying that the Lord will get us through and that we'll be found faithful on the other side of this other side of this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. But it's good talking to you, man. It's good being on the porch. Likewise, you know? man. Likewise. Yeah. yeah. We anything any any new things coming up for the porch, man, you want to share with folks, man, before we get into this subject? 
new things, man. You know, twenty twenty, you know, <laughs> has, has has made everybody go to their room and and, uh, and, and take a time out. But we are excited. We we're working on um, redesigning the website and um, getting some fresh content and stuff on the website. So. Uh, folks should listen out and look out for that in the coming months. And um, otherwise, you know, um, we we just try to continue to serve the church and broker the conversations that hopefully make a difference in the health and well-being of God's people. Amen, amen, brother, amen. We're gonna we're looking forward to the the fresh face mm-hmm. of of the front porch. So, folks, keep an eye on that. You'll be you'll be hearing it through other. You'll be hearing the announcements come out, and uh, yeah, and loving loving the new content. Loving what's some um, brothers and sisters that are, you know, uh, lending us their their pen, their keyboards. And uh, and so we're grateful for that today, though, today we're going to be we've been promising to talk about this for quite some time and uh, to each other anyway. (laughs) And so so, it had the stuff that we talk to each other about, but we'd be dangerous, man. We, we we would have no room for content That's on the right. front. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. Be My. like John. I suppose all the books in the world could hold, <laughs> could, could hold. <laughs> what your brothers be talking about. <laughs> yeah, but this subject, man, um, the the subject for today, folks, is pastors on policing. It's a hot topic. It's a subject of a lot of discussion, a lot of social media activity, blogs, you name it. Uh, papers. People have written papers. And, you know, this is not interesting to uh, be, you know, this this is not really a new subject. Not at all. It's just it's just been heightened over the last half a year. But it's not a new subject at all. We've uh, policing. And when you go back and it's amazing how uh, people have been writing and talking about these things for years, you know. And so, folks, we're not cutting, we're not, we're not, you know, plowing new ground here. You know, we might just be turning over some soil, (laughs) but we're not plowing new ground. Uh, People have been thinking and discussing these things for a long time. Um, But our subject, our way of going at it, we're we're pastors, and you all know that. Uh, That's our that's our first vocation. That's our that's our love. That's what God has called us to. And that is our responsibility. And again, we love doing that. Um, but it does it does move us into um, conversations that um, might go outside. Some would say I don't think it's really outside. I think it's all a part of shepherding people um, in our churches and in our community. Right. And policing is a community issue. Amen. And so. um why do you why do you think T? Let me just start it off with this question. Why do you think pastors in particular should have a conversation on policing? Yeah, brother, that's a that's a great place to start and a great question. I, I think I'd probably say a, a couple of things. One is that um, we are meant to be people under authority, right? And there are no authorities that exist that God did not ordain. Uh, that's Romans 13. And so as a matter of discipleship, we want to understand authority. We want to exercise it well, and we want to submit to it. Hmm. Uh, and so these are this is part of the structure of authority that God has placed in our lives. Um, that, that authority is for our good. It's meant to be married together with um, justice and love and mercy and, and all the sort of virtues that the Bible extols. <laughs> And so as a matter of 
personal discipleship and discipling others who want to understand um, authority and respond to it. It's, it's one of the few things that caused the Lord Jesus to marvel. You know, when he when he bumps into that centurion, the centurion says, "Hey, I've, I'm a man under authority. That's I got right. people That's under right. authority." You know, Jesus stepped back, and's like, "Yo, <laughs> I don't know many people who understand this." Right? That's right, um, man. Yeah. So we we want to be people who don't bristle but embrace proper authority. Uh, the other reason is, of course, it's, it has real world impacts on people in our community. Um, so if we care about our churches. And we right, care right. about the people in the communities that our churches are located in and serve. Um, one of the things we ought to care about is the relationship between uh, police and the community, police and the church, and that that relationship be healthy, that it be one that's built upon uh, right treatment of one another and built upon justice and truth and all those good things. Uh, because we we live now, we're at a point now where the United States has so many people um, engage, particularly black and brown people, engage with the criminal justice system that if you were to ask on a Sunday morning, how many of you have a loved one or a relative um, who's incarcerated or been incarcerated, nearly every hand in the place is going to go up. Yeah. Uh, and, and of course, incarceration is not, that's not summer camp. That's not, uh, right, that's right, not right. Uh, a vacation. Mm. That has tremendous impact on the life potential of people um, who are engaged with the criminal justice system. It affects housing. Um, it affects employment possibilities. It affects, it affects uh, family formation and, and, and marriage possibilities uh, and so on. So this is an issue that has uh, long reach and uh, far-reaching implications. And, and many of us are serving in neighborhoods where you can't responsibly pastor your people if you don't engage this set of issues or at least try to understand this set of issues and how it affects your people. So mm. those would be a, a couple of the reasons. And then uh, lastly, the, the, the glaring reason uh, would be sometimes policing and criminal justice goes dreadfully wrong. Uh, and um, you have the George Floyds, the Tatiana Jeffersons, the Breonna Taylors and, and so on, uh, which are the events that grab the headlines and, and make it, make us, you know, painfully aware that uh, sometimes our criminal justice system is 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 not just, and it's needing it's needing um, some address, some some modification in order to be what it ought to be. Mm. So, <clears throat> so then um, there's been this phrase buzzed about um, defunding defunding the police, and um, that was up and. That's been talked about a lot. Do you do you find that that phrasing helpful? Do you find it problematic, um, and why? Yeah, um, def the defund the police movement is is actually one of those things, Lou. As you in introducing this podcast, you said, "Hey, there've been a lot of people writing about these things, thinking about these things for many years." Well, actually, that's actually true of defund the police. This is not like a, a new hashtag slogan that got invented you know, after George Floyd was killed, there, there are scholars and activists and thinkers um, who have been arguing for defunding the police uh, for a long time. As the phrase goes, I think the way people normally think of defunding, at the, the phrase, if you're unaware of that movement, um, in the first instance, really does suggest things that cause people to stumble. 
you know what yeah. we're not going to have police uh you know people can sort of run over to things that are that are actually not intended um with with most of the folks who who are sort of defund the police advocates so rhetorically at the outset the the phrase can can yeah actually create some confusion but if you stick with it longer than 30 seconds you you quickly come to realize that what people are actually saying in broad strokes is listen we we have had a long period of expanding police funding in the country under the guise of getting tough on crime and and a lot of other um political um slogans and whatnot uh and in fact we have funded the police to the extent that actually we've done two things we have um called upon police officers to do more and more things um for which they are not trained and are actually beyond the mandate of policing mm. Right. So just as sure. an illustration, uh, when somebody's having a mental health problem, um, folks call 911 and the first responders are the police who actually aren't trained to deal with mental health crises. Mm. Right. Yeah. Um, and so we've got police stretched wider and wider over a bigger area of responsibility um, because while we have funded the police uh, in increasing measure, we, we've actually and this is the second problem, we've actually been cutting all the other supports and services that communities and people need, like mental health supports and, and crisis intervention and sure. conflict mediation and those kinds of things. So so you got police doing more, and at the same time, you're actually um, cutting the other range of supports that, that communities need to flourish and thrive. Um, and so when people talk about defunding the police, they're actually talking about, yes, um, removing some funding from police departments, but putting that funding into other things, education, social work, and so on, um, that address the other issues and needs that we shouldn't be calling the police to address. Right. Um, and so it's, it's, it's better in that sense to kind of reapportioning of funding uh, to meet the needs of communities. That, that's, that's generally what's being aimed at with defunding the police, not, not abolishing policing in any form. And it's interesting because some research um, has determined that um, uh, taking services away from, um, like, for example, mental health professionals and people who deal with people uh, with with mental health issues, even the homeless and these yeah. kinds of things, that, and putting it over into a police department or under uh, under a police <clears throat> under a policing is actually more expensive. Yep. It's more expensive and, and than, yeah, and less effective, yep. and so then you end up with, as as one report as one report has it, L.A., um, Chicago, and New York Rikers. I mean, they ha they are now um, they have the largest amount of residents <laughs> that have mental health issues. Mm. They're yep. incarcerated. Yep. Um, yep. So so no no one's talking about you dial nine one one. And there's nobody there. <laughs> right. <laughs> no one's no. We're, that's not what defunding the police um, is about. It's about uh, reappropriating, reallocating funds uh, so that police can do what they do best. Yeah. And other people who are professionals can do what they do best in the community. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and the power of that slogan, of course, is it it, it gets to the idea that that the funding in, in these issues is actually quite critical, yeah. right? 
So so I I could prefer a different slogan. I could prefer something like redesign policing, right? And that's important. But um, that that funding motive um, and where the dollars go to, the municipal dollars go mm-hmm. in our community, that's a really important issue. And, and getting the monies um, to the other kinds of services that improve the life outcomes and the quality of life and the the potential for flourishing for uh, all the members of the community that 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 is sort of struck at with that that slogan of defund the police. And I think that's important. Yeah, because when you when you use terms like um, what's well, popular now, reimagine, well, mm-hmm. that that really could that could mean, well, we'll just pump more money into the police right. and help, and train them better. That's right. You know, they, that, that just means more training. Um yeah. <laughs> When you're still not getting at the fundamental issues that perhaps there is a better way to service our communities mm-hmm. than having police responsible for certain things that perhaps no that they are not qualified that's right uh to be engaging, and so yeah, I think you're right. you mentioned the word fund it's like uh oh you got people you got <laughs> you got you're talking about got people's attention right, right. and they're they're beginning to listen, and so you're right, I think also if you listen past thirty seconds. No, no, I don't think any of us want to live in in a community where there's absolutely no law enforcement. Right. You know, right. I, I, <laughs> this is not the old West. No, this is not. You know, we just gunslingers. Right. Everybody That's got right. they got their gun on, which, you know, it's, and sometimes it's difficult to to see the difference in what we're getting at these days with a mm. um, lot of displays of that kind of stuff. But anyway. All right. T. So, OK. And I had it. Um, so. Passers, um, certainly, um, you know, even f- from the standpoint of authority, understanding, being under. I love the um, the biblical illustration of, of the centurion. Right. Mm. I love that because it just it just makes so much sense. Right. And we've read that a thousand times. And it's just it's um, it's a it's application. It's like, wow. Yeah. And and then the defunding uh, piece, um, reallocating um, what. Uh, funds and what police are uh, to be doing and perhaps not doing. Yeah. Right? Are we? Are we? Are we clear? I'm, I'm miss, clear. I'm missing. I'm, it, I'm missing anything. Am I missing I'm, anything? I'm no, okay. I think that's right. I okay. That's right. So let me ask you this then. So your uh, your police your police commissioner, <laughs> Thabiti, the police commissioner. You're the mayor. Um, you have authority over the city budget. You're the city budget manager. Uh, you're the policymaker, all of this, right? You're the policymaker and you execute that policy for a day, right? That's you for it. It's going to take more than a day, but what are the things you would put forward? Uh, they are not ready for me to be king for a day. King brother. for a day. That's why. That's why I said police commissioner. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So, so are we talking about for the whole city, or are we just talking here about policing? Let's talk about the um, whole city as it relates to policing. Okay. Okay. Is that is that is that fair? Yeah, no, that's fine. That's yeah. fine. I'm just trying to figure out where I would where I would start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, you yeah, we got we got you putting putting in new sidewalks and all that kind of stuff. We don't. <laughs> it's, 
that got to be done too. It's right? got to be done. So, yeah. <laughs> so got to make the buses run on time. Got to make them run on time, right? Yeah, I I think if if I'm if I'm mayor for a day and uh, police commissioner for a day, and it's good that you framed it that way, Lewis, because one of the things that's important for people to realize is a good amount, a lot of the reform that could make a real difference in uh, policing don't require federal legislation, don't even require state legislation. You can do them in city councils. Uh, You could could pursue certain reforms and changes right right there locally, and, and that's where... Um, the relationships exist. That's where there's uh, more immediate access to policymakers and whatnot. And so, people who are listening shouldn't shouldn't skip the local work. That mm-hmm. that's really important part of this. And if I were the mayor for a day, I think there's some things that I would do. You know, pretty quickly. Um, one is I would move funding over to support mental health um, services in the community and, and find a a way of um, Having having crisis intervention teams um, be a more substantial part of first response um, when uh, loved ones are calling because a, a, a loved one is having a mental health issue, uh, things of that sort. Uh, so I would move funding uh, to restore a lot of mental health support. I'd also take uh, school resource officers out of out of the schools. Um, the idea that uh, police officers should be in schools. Um, as part of the disciplinary response that schools are using uh, really is one of the uh, entry points into the school to prison pipeline um, and um, results in just a lot of problems in terms of delinquency and uh, minors contact with the criminal justice system and subsequent problems that develop. I think we've been able to sort of deal with school issues and discipline issues for a couple of centuries without police officers being there. I think we need to figure out how to go back to that. Um, in a substantial way. And, and of course, uh, having funding there for uh, social workers and mental health professionals in schools, uh, rather than cutting those positions, would be, would be really important, would be critical. Uh, where policing is concerned, uh, I, would, I would require um, body cams uh, universally, that they be on for the entire uh, duty shift of police officers, that we would have a database of um, the, the body cam video, and that um, loved ones who are affected by policing, particularly where someone may have been injured or, or um, uh, worse, killed in police custody, that uh, immediate family would have uh, pretty immediate access to body cam video um, to know what happened with their loved ones, that be creating a, a kind of accountability there. Wait, wait, wait. So, I'm sorry, T. So, okay, so the body cam, um, which there seems to be a lot of conversation about shifting. There's a shift going on, a transition to where some, some departments have it. But you're talking about having it and being required to have it on when right, you hit the right. shift. <laughs> right. That's right. Because in some cases, I mean, you, you hear often that, you know, something has happened. Um, there's question about, you know, the propriety of what's happened. And, you know, sometimes you hear uh, the body cam, the body cam video or the dash cam wasn't on. But why not? Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're going to invest in that technology. And we know that technology uh, tends to be associated with better interactions between police and citizens. And in fact, that it could be useful for protecting police officers against false claims of injustice just as it can be useful for helping citizens get justice where they've been mistreated. Well, if, if that's all true, why not have the video camera on? 
why not have the dash camera on as a as a matter of requirement um, and uh, as a matter of transparency make that immediately available to uh, again affected family members and things of that sort well so t okay so i got another question about the body cam thing so then do i hear you saying then and that's this is this is going to step a little bit out of your um commissionership <laughs> your mayoralship um so then you're saying then that there should be um a large amount of weight then placed on when it comes to um, adjudicating a, a situation should be placed on the body on what's on that body camera because you know we, we've seen instances where you know the body camera the body cam is said that we're looking at a video and then you know a prosecutor makes it say something that is <laughs> entirely different than what your eyes have seen what everybody's eyes have seen so yeah. so so is there going to be a shift to uh making the body cam weightier when it comes to you know um you know these cases or these you know, as evidence yeah, well, I, whether or not it, it becomes weightier, um, I, I wouldn't. I, I don't know that I would say yes or no um, definitively about that. Of course, it's, it's all going to be determined by what's revealed in the video. Um, and and you're right. There there are a lot of shenanigans that happen with the videos in terms of uh, how people interpret them and and things that are done before. Uh, grand juries or before juries to slow it down frame by frame and insert a whole lot of um, yeah commentary that that shapes how we watch the video. Um, so there, there have been instances where the videos have have simply been the occasion for police gaslighting of of the community. You know, sure. convincing the community that what they saw wasn't what they saw, right? <laughs> uh, and then there, and again there have been other instances where the videos have actually exposed fraudulent and mm -hmm. um, um, sinful and, and illegal behavior of police who before the video were saying in, in, in cahoots with one another saying this is what happened so and so had a gun and so and so did this and then you see the video and find out that's not true um, classic example that be Walter Scott right in South Carolina having been shot down in the back as he yes ran from an officer but the officer had, um, had simply lied about that interaction and, and, and what Mrs. Scott had done so so the, the cameras are not a foolproof way of guaranteeing um, you know, equitable interactions between police and community, but they help uh, and, sure. and they create some transparency. And, and I think in that spirit, I would certainly uh, require body cam, body mm -hmm. cam use and, and storage of that video. Okay. Um, an, another thing I think I would do, I would ban chokeholds right, you know, right, right out the gate, uh, ban chokeholds and uh, have some stronger uh, use of force criteria uh, for officers. I'd want to improve community oversight. So we, we need, if, if this is to be a partnership between community and police, then we need greater community involvement in the oversight of police. Um, and so I would be, I would aim for that. Um, so that's a community, you're talking about like those community oversight boards? Yep. Yep, and 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 community representation at, at various levels of, of policing and police and community um, engagement. Man, if I were king for a day, I would end police unions. Mm. <laughs> I would, uh oh, I would, end, I would end the unions and uh, bust the unions and uh, bust the police uh, unions' uh, influence in contracts and hiring and things of that sort. And here's is is the big one. 
maybe there are two big ones here uh, to give real quick. Uh, one is I would want independent investigation and prosecution of police. We, we can't leave that to our current system because the, the, the district attorneys who have the most latitude in our criminal justice system are actually partners with the police. And there's a real disincentive for them to prosecute officers. And so I think we need independent investigation and independent prosecution um, where we think there has been misconduct. Uh, and finally, I, I would want to demilitarize um, the local police police force. So the the sort of equipping of local police officers with mili- military grade um, weapons and and uh, military grade equipment when they don't have military level um, training or military level experience or military level protocols and and policy. It's just been disastrous, yeah. um, and and so I in all of this I I would be looking to shift policing back to a community policing model, officers walking the beat, knowing their neighborhoods, and away from a, a militarized model. Mm, mm. So <laughs> it's amazing too. I you know I I grew up in the in the days when it was kind of being introduced via Hollywood, and um, and um, and um, SWAT, the show SWAT, yeah, mm-hmm. and um, everybody wanted to be teacher. Oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> jump out the truck! Jump out the truck, man! Oh my goodness! <laughs> and and it, and it, and it kind of got a buy-in, you know. Yeah. And so then, and you wonder, well, when did how did, well, was I asleep? You know that now we've got you know we've got you know tanks rolling through our cities and um yeah it, we were kind of we were kind of nursed into it a little bit with and i think a lot of the um uh, certainly back in the early 70s and so the different police shows that's kind of showed this certain kind of of policing that we we kind of bought into and um and it just wasn't really what was happening on the ground it was more dramatized than anything but it did make us soft to the introduction of a lot of things that have um, that are harmful, and one of them is is the militarized police force. So we're going to pause and take a break right here, and we'll be back in just a few. Well, welcome back uh, to the front porch. T, this has been a really really interesting conversation, uh, man. Um, I would love for you to be mayor for a day <laughs> where I live. <laughs> it was interesting, uh, Thabiti, is that I, I'm looking at I'm looking at this list, these things that you would implement, and, and none of them none of them are brow beating policemen. You've you've said nothing um bad about <laughs> even the idea of of policing. It's just how it's being done. I think it might uh, have, have I heard you correctly? Yeah, I think yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I'm 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 not as I don't think most people are sort of categorically opposed to policing. Uh, we we need some kind of um, protection of our communities and uh, some kind of organized force that opposes criminality, criminal behavior. Uh, so no, it's it's not anti-policing, but what we want is good policing. And I think mm-hmm. what we have is a culture that assumes that all policing is good 
except for the quote few bad apples mm-hmm. um, who pop up. When in reality, there are actually some some structural, systemic, um, mission kind of flaws that uh, challenge most police departments and most police officers. And we need to change those. Mm. Um, you know, the kind of changes that we're talking about are not only good for uh, community members, they're good for police officers. Um, and so we, we, we don't engage these things as Christians, as people who are looking for some kind of vengeance or categorically opposed to policing itself. Mm. You know what? As I, as I was listening to you, man, I was going to toss this in, right? Um, it, it seems to me that um, there is a history about policing that that comes into play in some and a lot of these things you're talking about because um, um, well, a little bit I know and this is just a little bit just a wee bit that I know about the history of it it it, it really didn't start out too well for folks <laughs> <laughs> for our what, folks. Yeah, for our <laughs> folks, it wasn't really the community organization one would want to be a member of. That's right. <laughs> one you ran from, right? So, do um, you think that kind of plays in some of the historical um, framework of policing itself? Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and this is why we we cannot sort of attend to these things without talking about the the philosophy and the culture mm-hmm. of policing because. In terms of African American communities' relationship to policing, it begins with slave patrols, mm. right? It begins with these deputized groups of of, of citizens um, and um, groups of of law enforcement officials who are who are given authority to patrol the movements of of enslaved people, uh, to go and recapture people who have escaped slavery, uh, to bring them back into bondage. So in that sense, um, policing has always had a kind of adversarial relationship to African-American communities and the rights of African-Americans. This is why when you fast forward and you think about civil rights movements and things of that sort, you know, isn't it interesting that the police are almost always called out in service to protecting the racist segregationist status quo? Right. Um, they're, they're not out marching with <laughs> the civil rights protesters right. they're not out calling for justice as you as you might think a justice official should um they are they are uh used by the state to suppress um the advance of civil rights and civil claims and equity claims that um in this case african americans were were making so that mm. there's a long history of adversarial relationship between um, black communities and police forces, um, which are used again in communities by the state um, to ensure historically uh, the maintenance of a status quo that was itself unjust toward mm. uh, African Americans. Mm. See, that's in, that's important. I think I think one of the I think one of the viruses we suffer from um, in 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 America uh, is is a virus called ignorance of history. Mm. Um, ignorance is ignorance of beginnings and mm. as ignorance of how history is played out. And so we don't have a context to really analyze, you know, where we are today. And if we just go back, we would say, oh, what well, does make sense? <laughs> mm-hmm. This makes sense. This has kind of been playing out. So I, I think that if, if, if folks take anything away, I hope they take a lot away from what we've been talking about. That they'll that they'll go pick up a good a good resource, mm. 
and just read the history of policing. Alex Vitale, I think is his name, called The End of Policing. came out maybe three or four years ago. It's a, it's a good reference. I think he does an excellent job just on the history. I mean, not again, he's not in the first you know, five or six chapters. He's not you know, bad-mouthing police. He's just saying the way, this is the way it was done. This is why it was put in place. And he goes all the way back to the slave patrols, right? And even um, in later years of suppressing any kind of protest, um, you know, in municipalities, that's yep. what that's what they were for, and yep. so and it helped people to see that yeah we need to just need to be just think 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 differently about um, how this is done, and 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 the best way it's done to serve the communities. That, yeah, uh, and yeah. and not to put too sharp a point on it, but in this day and age, if you're ignorant of these things, it's a willful ignorance, because the information is so easily accessible, so plentiful. Sure. Uh, as a Google search, right, uh, or a search on Amazon, you know, for books about policing. Um, so, and, and gosh, everybody and their mother, including us, has a podcast, right? So, <laughs> right. so these things, these things um, are, are easily discernible. Um, but, yeah, we, we, we sometimes find that, that people are kind of willfully ignorant. Um, not not being willing to go after the information that that does exist. Sure, and that yeah, and that that, that willfulness just adds to the complexity of of the issue that willful that willful ignorance does. Yep. And and then it, you know then it's like okay if you if you don't really know then you quit talking about it. Right, <laughs> you know, right. quit acting like you know. <laughs> See, that's one of the lessons we learned on the front porch. Sitting out there with mom and daddy talking that's about right. stuff. And they tell you real quick, you don't know nothing. You don't, you don't know, know what, what you talk about. <laughs> be quiet. Go right. talk. <laughs> reminds me of uh, one of my grandchildren. Uh, he was um, much younger than what he is. He's still young, younger than what he is now. And and the other sibling, his little sibling, was saying something, and uh, and he was convinced that she was out of pocket. And he said, he said, she don't know what she talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's the case, man. I'm like, hey, if you don't know, you can know. Yep. You can know. You're right. You're right. A quick Google search, uh, podcast, and they're out there. Yep. And 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 people who you know will give you a good reference, so you're not going out to some Looney Tune and listening to listening to some things, right? So yeah. Okay. So I have to ask. I I do. I come from uh, a union family. The BD, right? Daddy was blue collar, uncle was blue collar, other uncles, brother blue collar. My first jobs, I had blue collar unions. Matter of fact, I worked for one of the uh, largest unions the, at the time. It was the American Postal Workers Union, right? So you know, I feel kind of a little way about what's happening with the postal with the post office right now. I kind of I feel a little kind of way about that, bro. That's another episode. <laughs> and I'll let you ask me if I was postmaster general for a day. But anyway, <laughs> so yeah, and and I worked and uh, was a member of the UAW, right? And um, you know, <laughs> unions are best known. They're best known for improving wages, competitive wages, right? Uh, safe working conditions. Benefits, workers' protections against unjust practices of employers—all um, of these things. As the adage, as the adage goes, where you know there's power in numbers. So, 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 my my dear brother, <laughs> <laughs> what do you have against the police union? 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, it, with that introduction, that, that, that long pedigree of impartiality. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, I'll tell you what I got you. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, okay, no, bro. I, you know, all of that's true. A union at its best is doing yeah. all the kinds of things that you're talking about. However, we can think of sort of unions that actually get in the way of reform, whether that's teachers' unions that, that often are um, significantly uh, significant impediments to the reform of, of educational practice and educational mm-hmm. policy, or whether that's police unions. And one of the ways that police unions get in the way uh, is that they, let's just take accountability, for example. Oftentimes, it's, it's terribly difficult to terminate a bad officer. Um, because of the unions, because of the power of unions, because of the way unions uh, can shape uh, or, or, or influence the enforcement of contracts. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that we see around the country is a cat could get uh, suspended or fired for misconduct uh, one week and uh, some period later is right back on the force, um, either at that same department or at another department, uh, precisely because of the way the the union is shielding them. So my my main objective here is that um, if a union is getting in the way of proper accountability, right, keeping in mind that we're talking about people with the power of sort of death and life in their hands, um, that is almost always going to be tending towards some form of injustice. Uh, and we just we just simply can't have that. People need mm-hmm. to be accountable. The, the doctors, if they mess up their operation, they're accountable for that. They can be that's right. sued that's right. uh, for that. That's why they pay a whole bunch of money in insurance. That's right. Right. That's right. That's right. Um, you know, th- we got all kinds of professions where if there's malpractice, there is accountability. Mm-hmm. But policing is accepted from that right now, uh, in large part because of the influence of unions. Mm-hmm. And that does make sense. Yeah, I ha- I just, I just wanted to front load that. It's all so good. That you, <clears throat> so that yeah, you would. I, didn't know, I learned something about you today. Huh? You say what, T? I learned something about you today. I didn't know yeah. you was a union man. Yeah. Well, I was back in the day. <laughs> I was, but um, yeah, and that's that's important because I I think you, I think you have mentioned before. I, I read it somewhere where yeah, you have family members that are police officers, mm-hmm. and if unions are doing the things that they're supposed to be doing and they're and they're being the best at that you wouldn't want to deprive your family members of those kinds of protections that's right right that's right and so just to be clear i'm not anti-union not anti-union no at all it's just it's just when the union oversteps or gets into areas where protecting um the employee working for the employee um, <clears throat> moves into more of a we're going to protect people, <laughs> protect, the em- protect the employee from proper uh, discipline, mm-hmm. you know, uh, proper consequences yep. for acting improperly. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And, and uh, um, even the best of unions fall out when they're doing that. That's right. Doing that. So I remember my, my uncle was a, uh, a chief steward. Right. I told you, man, it's in the blood, Doc. It's in the blood. Right. <laughs> and um, I remember um, I, I worked in the plant where he was uh, where he was a chief steward. And this one guy, he got out. He just did some he did a crazy, crazy safety thing, man. He just, it was just 
bogus. I'm goofing around, man. Horse bling. And uh, yeah, it was a safety violation, man. That really could have caused a lot of injury. Right. And and Unc was very clear. He's like, uh, you're going to get it for this, man. You know, <laughs> I can't <laughs> I can't get you off. Now, what I can do is maybe talk with them to lessen the severity of 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 your of your of your punishment of the consequences of this but what you did you violated a serious safety code and for that man you've got to pay some consequences some consequences for that you know and so but to say let's just do all we can to finagle you getting out of this thing when you set so many lives people's lives are in danger because of what you did horse playing it wasn't wasn't an accident. You did it on purpose. So yeah, you're right. I follow that too. That make, that makes good sense. That makes See, good sense. And, it, and at that level, that's how you begin the creation of systemic injustices. That's, that's right. how you that's create right. a culture and a set of practices and policies that create an expectation for unjust procedure and unjust outcome. Um, and right. so yeah, that that that's the kind of stuff that we really have to. Uh, sort of pay cl- close scrutiny to uh, in order to make sure that we're doing things that are righteous and above board. Yeah. And, you know, and that's and that's the truth, too, for us as elders. Mm-hmm. When 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 members or a member of the church right, gets into a bad way and commits an egregious sin. Mm. Right. We have to deal with that in, in such a way that certainly brings healing to that brother, but does not overlook the egregious nature of what he committed as as as, as sin and um and and cover it up. Amen. Many brothers many brothers have gone down, have associations have gone down because of that. Right. Because of covering up. And it sets up, you're right, it sets up an environment of systemic abuse in many cases, yep. in many churches, in many organizations. Yep. Yeah. Amen. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. T, you've done a, such a great job in your local municipal assignment. Man. <laughs> you you want to, I'm telling you, man, you need to be mayor of where I live. <laughs> I would prefer you as a pastor in the area <laughs> over, <laughs> over a mayor. <laughs> but you, yeah, man, those some, and I, so we want to expand your duties. We want to expand your duties to consider something on a national level, right? And 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 I want to I want to ask you about a particular policy when it comes to policing, and if if you have any issues with that, if you do, what issues you do have with it. If not, we can just move on, and and uh, and we'll almost be done with our conversation. <laughs> Qualified immunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, you didn't give me any facial expressions to let me know which which way you're going with this, man. I was waiting for some kind of indication, but oh, you listen, poker I'm, face I'm, is on, man. I, I am I am for the ending of of qualified immunity. Oh, uh, oh, goodness. Okay. The way it's been practiced and applied um, in recent years by the Supreme Court and uh, in these in these kinds of issues. What is just it? A, Tell folks. Yeah, a, yeah. Yeah, it's good. Just as a little bit of background. Uh, In the U.S., at least, uh, qualified immunity basically grants to government officials who are doing their job in some official capacity. uh, It grants them immunity, protection from civil suits, civil lawsuits, unless the person bringing a lawsuit can prove that that official violated 
uh, some clear law or constitutional right uh, that they should have known about or any reasonable person should have known about. Um, so qualified immunity shifts the burden of proof uh, in the protection of that civil right over to the person who's been victimized uh, and basically assumes um, yeah, a kind of protective posture toward, mm. toward the civil servant. And the U.S. Supreme Court uh, first put this idea forward in Pearson versus Ray in 1967. Uh, this was in the height of the civil rights movement, of course. Um, originally, this, this, the ruling in, in Pearson versus Ray um, sort of had the rationale of, of protecting law enforcement officials. Now, again, here again, you're protecting the, the police rather than the, the civil rights of citizens, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So you're protecting law enforcement officials from what would be considered frivolous lawsuits. That's not a bad aim. That's not a bad goal no, to protect no. from frivolous lawsuits um, when they're doing their duties in good conscience. But around 2005, uh, the courts started to apply this doctrine uh, in cases involving excessive use of force or deadly force by police, right? And now we've gotten to the place where qualified immunity is is pretty much a get out of jail, get out of accountability free card, mm. Um, mm. where folks who are committing uh, really heinous acts uh, of police brutality. Are, are unpunished, and the folks who suffered those acts um, basically have their constitutional rights and their civil rights denied. Um, and so I think we need a, a, a revisiting of qualified immunity uh, in a way that um, reforms it or removes it or clarifies in, in a healthier way uh, when it is we should protect civil servants in the doing of their duty uh, and when it is we should... Um, support and protect the civil rights of citizens who are being mistreated by civil servants. Um, now, now, much of that is above my pay grade, but that's, that's what I think I would, I would be calling for. Uh, and there are calls to end it altogether, and there are calls to reform it. Um, but, um, yeah, somewhere in between those two things, I think we need some revision. Sure. Do you have a um, – <clears throat> give me an example. Give folks an example um, T of how how that would how that played out to the disadvantage of of the citizen. Just just a random. Uh, you follow what I'm saying? Like, and then the guy claims it claimed qualified immunity, and yeah, so yeah. people know exactly what you. They say, oh, so that's that's how that happened. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mentioned I mentioned one um, mm-hmm. Pearson versus Ray. That's the 1967 uh, lawsuit that makes its way to the Supreme Court. Um, that that we're again is concerned about mm-hmm. law a law enforcement officer's use of, of force, um, and there's the question of probable cause in the use of force, um, and there's the question of again the, the appropriateness of the of the action. Um, anytime you see that kind of dynamic going on. Um, that that's that's what's at play. So you know, you think about the choking out of Eric Garner, um, and um, uh, the use of an illegal chokehold. Um, Garner dies, um, you know, arguably over nothing because he was selling loose cigarettes um, out, out on the street corner or what have you. Um, he's not resisting arrest. He's you know he's he's basically saying you, you're choking me. I can't breathe. 
that's a, that's an infringement upon his civil rights. It's an sure. infringement upon um, basic legal protections um, that that are guaranteed in the Constitution. Well, basically, those men, uh, you know, apart from public outcry, uh, those men go largely um, un- unaddressed as police officers, sure. um, excused as police officers, things of that sort. Um, and, and that's because of the kind of context that qualified immunity creates, uh, where it's terribly difficult to demonstrate that the officer knowingly, um, you know, impinged upon your, your civil rights um, and uh, used excessive force and so on. Uh, so maybe the Eric Garner would be an example of that. Um, any, any number of other high profile cases right now um, where um, where the, the lawsuits might be treated as frivolous lawsuits or without substance or basis <clears throat> that would be examples of that. Wow. Well, that, that, <clears throat> that, that is problematic. And so people, I think a lot of folks, uh, perhaps listening to us, um, would, would wonder how it is that it, that, because um, you get kind of lost in all of the details of, well, how did this officer get away with that? How did, how, I mean, that was clear to everybody that's watching this, looking at this, that, um, Man, this guy was this guy was violated in many kind of ways, and <clears throat> behind behind it is this little thing called qualified immunity. Uh, I think that if more citizens knew again <laughs> about the apparatus that's in place, that the outcry would be even more. That yeah. needs that that yeah that just needs to be like you said somewhere between banishing it. <laughs> Yeah. And certainly, <clears throat> certainly putting it in a framework where you don't, where you, the officer or the the government official is protected from frivolous lawsuits. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, and and it's and it's important because just to sort of underscore this, qualified immunity is addressing situations where the the official is is conducting a discretionary act, meaning. They, they, they decide whether or not an act should be done or pursued, right? So it's not a situation where the law requires the person. Exactly, to right. It's a, it's Good a situation point. where the person has discretion. So whether you shoot, you know, a teenager who's however many yards away from you or running from you or a 55-year-old man who's running away from you in the case of Walter Scott, um, you know, we can name various instances that's in the discretion of the officer. Now, part of the problem is uh, one of the ways in which uh, we think about those situations legally is the, the officer is allowed to act and to use force uh, when they feel themselves to be in danger, right? Uh, now, that's, that's too vague a standard. That's too Oh, my goodness, standard, yeah. Right? <laughs> you know, you're not asking the question whether they should have R- felt that way. Sure, right. Uh, right. So, so you, you have a situation where officers can act at their discretion, including the use of deadly force, and, and that discretion is justifiable based merely on the officer's sense of threat, right, right. perception of threat, and there's no taking into account whether or not the citizen feels threatened, right? Sure. Uh, or, or what's going on with the citizen's state of mind, or whether or <clears> not the <throat> citizen has a, a mental health issue. Sure. Right. And so you, you just sort of wind up with this legal regime where the, offer is, the, the officer is closer to absolute immunity than they are qualified immunity. And mm. uh, that's, that's, that's a really difficult thing to overcome and why we need reform. Mm. There's a lot. Man, we could go on with this for a long time because we're on the porch 
You know, all we need is to freshen up our lemonade or something, right? <clears throat> Somebody bring out some chips or something out here or something, right? <laughs> but you're a pastor and I'm a pastor and we got to get off this porch. <laughs> you know, you got to, at some point, you got to go inside. You got to go back inside, get back in the study, right? <laughs> right. But, man, I've really um, appreciated this conversation, T., and, and I, I will promise you, if I think of anything else along the lines of what we've been talking about today, we're going to come back out here and talk some more about this. Is that okay? Is that cool? Let's get it, man. You know, I love talking with you, brother, anytime. Yeah, yeah man. But this has, been, this has been helpful. And I, I trust that people who will listen in, join us on the porch, will find it to be uh, helpful as well. But I'm going to give you the last word, though. No, yeah, just something that just came to me real quick. <clears throat> it just came out today, as a matter of fact. Uh, the AND campaign, uh, National um, Latino or Hispanic uh, Evangelical Association, I think the National uh, Association of Evangelicals, several other groups, uh, World Relief, uh, have just launched today um, a, a campaign and a coalition to advocate for criminal justice reform. Get out. Uh, and so if folks are, are interested in this issue, uh, they should they should look up the AND campaign. They should look up that, um, that effort, that coalition to... Um, create criminal justice reform, uh, it's encouraging to see Christians uh, beginning to act, um, yeah, with, with greater compassion and zeal uh, in the cause of justice in this area. That's right. Yeah, just um, got a plug out there, shout out there for the AND campaign. Very simple to find on, on a, a great organization, I might add. Yeah, I think the gentlemen are doing a great job there. I'm give you last word, T. <clears throat> oh, that was it. That's it. <laughs> that was it. That's that was it. <laughs> Uh, pray like the pray like the widow that that um, is looking for justice and yeah. uh, ask that the Lord would grant it. Amen. Amen. That's going to do it for us, folks. Thanks for joining us on the porch, and we will talk to you all again real soon. Mm-hmm.